Welcome back to New World Next Week. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. And I'm James Evan Pilato from MediaMonica.com. Central banks alone cannot mitigate climate change. We've got that unbelievable story, plus banning biometrics. But first, Russian reforms. Is Putin planning for his successor? This coming from the cleverly titled Off Guardian website. Last week, Putin put forward constitutional reforms that would empower the legislative branch and his entire government resigned. The Western press and the Western-backed opposition in Russia went on at length about how Putin was preparing to extend his power to move to an office without term limits or some kind of rich creamery butter. After years of complaining about the amount of power the president of Russia has, the mainstream media decided that limiting those powers was also bad. So you should forget what the press says. They have no insight and no interest in acquiring any. However, the quasi-alternative media are also confused on this one. So what is going on in Russia? Let's just take a look at the four sort of headline proposals. Limit the presidency to a two-term maximum, empower the Duma to appoint the prime minister and cabinet in place of the president, anyone running for president has to have lived in Russia for 25 years, and dual nationals are forbidden from holding public offices. Do these steps sound like they're designed to centralize the power of one boogeyman? Does that sound like Putin wants to be in power for life? On a different note, Juan Guaido is Venezuela's acting president, educated at Georgetown University in the Washington, D.C. area, just one of the places where I saw the White Stripes play. Alexei Navalny, leader of the Russian opposition, is a world fellow at Yale. The U.S., NATO, EU bloc can't wait to replace Putin with a pro-Western neoliberal stooge who will, of course, increase the national debt, implement austerity, privatize industry, gut the public sector, and, of course, open up Russia to the IMF just like it's been done all over the Western world. We will include the full transcript of the speech in the show notes, Putin's address to the Federal Assembly. James, this kind of reminds me because I feel like when we talk about this stuff, especially if we've been off the air for a couple of weeks – you were on that proper not list of independent journalists smeared by corporate stenographers as being a Russian bot. Yeah, so why should why should we trust what you have to say about this, James? You absolutely should not. But on that note, you shouldn't trust what other people are saying about it uh, wholesale either. In fact, you should use your critical thinking switch. Wow, that's something a Russian bot would say. Um, but no, I have, I have been following this story because it's an interesting one. And I have read all manner of hot takes on this and what uh, these, the, this uh, address really means. And the fact that uh, essentially... Uh, uh, Medvedev and most of the cabinet resigned uh, immediately after this speech. Like, what the hell is going on here? So I've read all manner of hot takes, and a lot of them seem to be hot air, mostly. Um, but please go uh, go out and read some some of the commentary that's been generated, both in the mainstream and in the alternative media, about the, this move and what it means. But more importantly, and more to the point... I really encourage people to go and read the actual transcript of the address. And if you really just want to get to the meat and potatoes, skip about two-thirds or three-quarters down. Um, the first maybe two-thirds of the speech is about demographics and the demographic crunch that Russia is facing and how the government's going to step in and save the day with money from heaven and blah, 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 political blather. But at least it's political blather on the right side of the coin. Um, but um, the meat and potatoes comes towards the end of the address. And I, I really suggest people read it and and think about it in their own terms. But then again, also, if you can read Russian, it would probably be more helpful to read the original or listen to the original Russian address because even as some commentators are noting, some of the, the sentences and the way they are translated could mean 
exactly opposite things um, pertaining, for example, to the two-term limit on presidency and, and things like this. So, so, so really, there's a lot that's in question here. And to be fair, I think the only commentator I've seen who has at least acknowledged the limits of his knowledge on this is uh, Bernard over at Moon of Alabama, who it, it titled his post, The Russian Prime Minister Resigns and No One Knows Why. And he didn't try to uh, sell any line to people about it. He said, well, you know, there's a lot that we don't know here. And that's that's a, about right. But I do suggest people go and read through it so that they can at least come to their own conclusions about what was said here, rather than listen to me or anyone else. But on that note, if you do want my own hot take on it, I am going to be writing about this in more detail in the forecaster this weekend, because I think this is an important, important thing. And uh, just a little spoiler alert, I think this is quite different from Xi Jinping appointing himself president for life a couple of years ago. I mean, that was pretty blatant. This is not that type of maneuver, but it is a political maneuver of sorts, and I think it's one worth uh, delving into. Moon of Alabama are cited in what is a pretty massive article from Off Guardian. And James, I, I wonder if most folks, probably like myself, heard about this story when the cabinet resigned, we didn't hear anything about Putin's speech. All we saw was from all the mainstream media outs going, Russia resigns. They hate Putin. Again, it's always coming from some sort of slanted side. Our second story on this New World Next Week episode, James, we go to the green swan. The BIS urges climate action to prevent, uh, you know, whatever they're going to make up. Bankster Globalist, this coming from whatsupwiththat.com. Bankster Globalist piling on the pressure to save the planet from a climate problem which doesn't exist, but something more sinister might be happening behind the scenes. The abstract of this report, The Green Swan, Central Banking and Financial Stability in the Age of Climate Change. Put, put your boots on. It gets thick real quick here. Climate change poses new challenges to central banks, regulators, and supervisors. However, integrating climate-related risk analysis into financial stability monitoring is particularly challenging because of the radical uncertainty associated with a physical, social, economic phenomenon that's constantly changing and involves complex dynamics and chain reactions. Traditional backward-looking risk assessments and existing climate economic models cannot anticipate accurately enough the form that climate-related risks will take. These include what we call green swan risks, potentially extremely financially disruptive events that could be behind the next systemic financial crisis. Central banks have a role to play in avoiding such an outcome, including by seeking to improve their understanding of climate-related risks through the development of forward-looking scenario-based analysis. But central banks alone cannot mitigate climate change, they said hilariously. This complex collective action, collective, requires coordinating actions among many players, including governments, private sector, civil society, and the international community. Central banks can therefore have an additional role to play in helping coordinate the measures to fight climate change. Those include climate mitigation policies such as, here we go, carbon pricing, the integration of sustainability into financial practices and accounting frameworks, the search for appropriate policy mixes, and the development of new financial mechanisms at the international level. All these actions will be complex to coordinate and could have significant redistributive consequences that should be adequately handled, yet they are essential to preserve long-term financial and price stability in the age of climate change. In plain banksteries, a carbon tax is the best solution to save the world from a green global financial crisis. James, here comes the Green Reaper. Maybe it's the maybe it's the Greta Swan. 
James. <laughs> yeah, that's about right, because this is the convergence of all these different paths and all these different things converging on what this has always been about, which is the complete takeover of the economy, the financialization of nature, all of the things that come with this, the creation, the minting of all these carbon millionaires and billionaires that will be created out of this swindle that is happening right in front of our eyes. And I wish, actually, I could go back and retroactively change my New World Next Year 2020 predict trend prediction for 2020 from end of the internet, which I still think is a trend and I think it is happening, but I would change it to this. Banks, central banks jumping on the Green New Deal, Green Swan, whatever they're calling it this week. This this convergence is something that I'm seeing in every possible way. It has to do with Christine Lagarde coming in in the ECB and saying, we're going to be fighting climate change. And then Mark Carney taking, getting uh, his golden parachute retirement from the uh, Bank of England and going to the UN to become a special banker for climate change. And all of these, all of these pronouncements from the central bankers, the BIS, all of these institutions that are the banksters, that truly are the power structure of the world, are all jumping on this. 90 trillion dollars of green infrastructure investments that, oh if we don't if we don't do a carbon tax there's going to be another global financial collapse as they point the gun at the head of the economy oh, don't make us do this don't make us do it uh, so that we know they can pull the plug control demolition of the economy anytime they want they are this is a threat this is a threat give in to our demands. We're going to implement a new green tax and hey, maybe it'll be global and we'll have to have a global institution to look over this tax. All of the agenda items are being pushed right now and it is on the basis of this fundamental fraud that's been pushed on the public for decades now and that so many people have bought into. If we do not fight this fraud, it's game over. This is what it's all about. So I cannot stress how important this story is. This is, as we've talked about for, for a couple of years here on Neural Next Week, James, we've laid this scenario out pretty well. And we've talked, of course, about, you know, a simple way to maybe put it to some of the normies in your life. It's like, do you think paying carbon indulgences to Al Gore and Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan is really going to help the economy? No, it's just going to be another giant, you know, boom and bust bubble fake economy. James, we were also wondering on the morning show, it's like, how did Greta get to Davos? Did, did she fly in her, like, Wonder Woman invisible eco-jet? We'll have to wonder about that some other time. But, James, that story, that green swan paper is just out in the open. This next one, our last segment here on New World Next Week, episode 397, and first new episode for the year 2020 as we enter our 11th calendar year of New World Next Week. This next one was occulted, meaning hidden away. Leaked proposal shows EU considering five-year ban on facial recognition. This coming from the very important technocracy.news. The European Commission considering measures to impose a temporary ban on facial recognition technologies used by both public and private sectors, according to a draft white paper on artificial intelligence obtained by something called Euractive. If implemented, the plans could throw current AI projects off course in some EU countries, including Germany's wish to roll out automatic facial recognition at 134 railway stations and 14 airports. 
it's always good to talk about Germany and, you know, trains running on time and facial recognition and stuff. France also has plans to establish a legal framework permitting video surveillance systems to be embedded with facial recognition technologies. The commission paper, which gives an insight into proposals for a European approach to artificial intelligence, stipulates that a future regulatory framework could include a time-limited ban on the use of facial recognition technology in public places. The document adds that the use of facial recognition tech by private or public actors in public spaces would be prohibited for a definite period, three to five years, during which a sound methodology for assessing the impacts of this technology and possible risk management measures could be identified and developed. Or, as the Technocracy News editor says, while the EU is largely a technocracy, this proposal for a five-year ban on AI in facial recognition is to give regulators more time to shape the way it develops. And this potentially could leapfrog technologies in the U.S. and, of course, most favored nation. James, uh, interesting related note before I throw it back to you, one I covered on Morning Monarchy this week. Hundreds of U.S. police departments using dystopian facial recognition app. The old gray lady, that broken clock of corporate print media revealed a secretive company's been selling the world's most advanced known facial recognition software to local law enforcement agencies for at least the last two years. Clearview AI, it's called, searches through public images on social media and can identify an individual even if their face is obscured or not entirely visible. Not sure maybe how the juggalo face paint might actually throw it off. According to the New York Times, although Clearview has been selling its technology to police forces since 2017, it only came to the public attention at the end of 2019 when its name was produced in court documents in a Florida man robbery case. James, this is all pretty much toothpaste out of the tube. It seems a little late that places are going to go, oh, we're going to stop this thing that's already out and everywhere and being used. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly right. I mean, and this is such a sticky issue. How do you, how do you actually resolve this? Because this technology exists. It is going to be implemented. They are going to use it uh, per- commercially, privately, as well as through public institutions. So... How do you put that uh, genie back in the bottle? I don't know. Um, but or the lamp. <laughs> but um, uh, I think if I could pick a third trend for 2020, <laughs> it would be the fight over facial recognition uh, software of various sorts. This is going to be an extremely important issue. And uh, people might remember, I just covered it a couple weeks ago. I interviewed Michael Meharry talking about the various uh, states and uh, local, uh, local municipalities that are pushing back with legislation banning facial recognition or at least banning government use of that in various um, places uh, around the U.S. And here we see the EU jumping on this. And it's not particularly surprising because the EU has positioned itself as being extremely strict on privacy and things like that, which is why, I mean, essentially we're getting this second internet that's being created around the EU regulations so that, you know, you, I mean, if you're in the EU, you have to have certain notifications of cookies and whatever. And so now you notice all these things. And we remember a year or two ago, there was all those websites that were sending out those obligatory notices under the EU GDPR. So this is something that EU has been positioning itself. We are the protectors of privacy, which, I mean, at least it's the right idea. But yeah, we need the EU bureaucracy to do this for us. No. And I think that editorial comment that Patrick Wood inserts here 
Well, the EU is largely a technocracy, yes, and I would say almost completely, especially the bureaucracy of the EU. This proposal for a five-year ban on AI and facial recognition is to give regulators more time to shape the way it develops. Exactly. This isn't going to stop it. But again, can it even be stopped? I did find it interesting that one of the... Um, the um, the categories of regulation that they're they're looking at is voluntary labeling. Um, and if you go and read more about that, it says a voluntary labeling framework could consist of a legal instrument whereby developers could choose to comply on a voluntary basis with requirements of ethical and trustworthy artificial intelligence. Should compliance in this area be guaranteed, a label of ethical or trustworthy artificial intelligence would be granted, which, uh, you know, even that is certainly not ideal. But at least if there is something approaching informed consent around this technology that you, if you go here, you are going to be subject to facial recognition. Okay, well, I'm not going to go there. I mean, if there was something, some way of at least, um, at least knowing that that technology was in being deployed and being used, then we could at least approach something that would involve a, a, a public communication about this. But the problem is this technology is already being used and is, uh, who knows, you know, I don't know, you just step out and you step out your door and it could be being used on you as it, as it is and you don't know. And this is, this is why it's such an incredibly complex problem that is not going to be solved by governments working hand in glove with the very uh, t technology companies that are developing this so that they can deploy them on their police forces for years without telling the public and all of this stuff that's coming out. So it is a sticky issue. If you want some positive news, or at least some positive stories regarding it, please go back to my interview with Michael Meharry, where we talk about some of the fight back that's going on around this technology. Well, and as, as the saying goes, politics is downstream from culture. By the time we hear governments talking about this stuff, it's pretty much game over in your personal life. I mean, we, we talked about the guy last year in the UK who got ticketed for trying to hide his face from the cameras. You can't hide your face from the cameras. And, of course, the fangsters, they'll play the don't throw me in the briar patch, but they get to, of course, help write all of these laws. Hi. Well, that's our first episode for 2020 of Neural Next Week, James. As we always close these episodes, I like to remind folks, I'm like a radio guy. I stream news, music, memes, and more Monday through Friday, 9 to 5 Mountain Time at MediaMonarchy.com. James, you couldn't tell folks. It's pretty cool, eh? It is. I heartily recommend it. So if you haven't <laughs> checked it out, jump on a stream, dip your toe into the water, and find out what's going on over there. All right, buddy. I think we'll shut down this episode 397. It is fantastic to be back with you here. Again, it sounds even crazy coming out of my mouth. This is our 11th calendar year. We've been doing New World next week since October 2009. And here's to many more years, James. Indeed, we're old men now, aren't we? And uh, just as a further sign of that, I'm still thinking jealously, you know, I never got to see the White Stripes. Oh, well. Uh, All right. <laughs> On that note, we'll do it again next week. Talk to you then. All right. Thanks so much, buddy. Take care.